Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. You can go ahead and grab your seat. It's been a great week of uh, trial and tribulation, of victory and expectation. Um, I had a, a situation this week where it just really caused me to press in and to pray. I hope all of you are reading your word. I hope all of you have a devotional. You know, my, my devotional that I read, it just always seems like it's, it's the right thing on the right day at the right moment. I think I said this once, maybe five, six years ago, but, you know, in the words of the great and wise Ashanti, <laughs> Not always there when you call, but I'm always on time. This, this uh, devotion I had, I think it was Thursday or Friday, it was on time. God was like, look, you have to press in with me. You have to pray. You have to have communion, and you have to humble yourself. And I remember wrestling with God like, Lord, am I right? Am I wrong? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Just, just repent. <laughs> just repent. And in a situation that felt like they were out of my control and out of my hands, and I wanted that control, and I wanted them back in my hands, God said, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. You can plant and you can water, but I have to cause the increase. And then just when I thought there was going to be no increase in a particular situation, there was going to be no hope in that situation, I get a text message. And then it's like, man, everything just shifts. Everything just changes, and you remember how good God is. Can't wait to see those spiritual text messages that he sends to each and every one of you in those moments where it seems like there's no hope and there is. So our series is uh, titled A Time to Plant and uh, the theme scripture is out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, this portion of scripture a lot of times we see it uh, in, in weddings and ceremonies and, and this idea of like these different seasons that we go through in our lives. But uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2 says, to everything, say everything. everything. Say my things. my things. So to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. So we've been talking about a time to plant. Last week we had these three uh, main points. Number one was the right time to plant. And we we're trying to figure out if you want something to grow, when should you plant it, right? As I went to the store and I was looking at all these different types of flowers and fruit, on the back each one begins to tell you, plant this one in this season, plant this one in that season. Uh, um, if you want it to grow and, and how deep into the soil, you need to make sure that you plant at the right time. Then, number two last week was good soil. 
You know, if you plant it into bad soil filled with rocks and filled with weeds, nothing's going to grow. You could have an amazing, miraculous seed and nothing's going to grow because you didn't plant it into good soil. When you come into this church, when you lift up your hands in worship, when you give up yourself and your resources, when you get into the word, what you're doing is turning that soil so that God can plant seeds into good soil. Amen. We don't just show up and, and he gives us uh, a, a fruit. You show up and he gives you a seed. <laughs> You got to turn that soil. So good soil. And the last one was, was good seed. We said that uh, God gives good seed. You know what you're going to get, or at least you know that it's going to be good. It's not going to grow something nasty or something funky or some ugly flower that tries to kill you and poisons you in the house. Like he's, he gives you good seed. Yes. He gives us what we need. Amen. So it's a good start to this time to plant series. And, and today... Uh, if it's possible, I think it is possible. It feels that way for me all the time, but I feel like every week is better. Every week is, is better, building upon what we've done. So this week, uh, week number two, is called Jesus Plants Hope. Jesus Plants Hope. So the story that I'm going to share with you guys this morning, it starts off in a place called Capernaum. And not only have I been there, but it's a place that God planted a new seed of hope in my life. I'm going to show you guys some pictures here. Uh, Capernaum is right outside of Galilee. We, we come walking up to the city. Go back, Zach. Go back real quick. Come walking up to the city, and uh, you see this sign out, out front. And immediately, I'm drawn to the Bible and the stories that I know. And when we read these names, and I, I can't believe that I'm really there. And, and uh, I think it was 2014 that I went to Israel. And, and I've shared with some of you that when you get there, you think on your way there, man, you're going to get off the, the plane, and the Spirit of God is just going to smack you in the face, and you're going to feel the presence, and everybody you meet is going to to be like a super believer, but it's just not the truth. If you read the Old Testament, actually, if you read the New Testament, it talks about how Israel is far from God. And because they're away from him and they don't believe in Jesus, we get to come in and have Jesus. And that we are going to lead them to jealousy. And that because of us entering a relationship with their God, they're going to come back to God. It's a wonderful thing. But I really wasn't expecting to feel it the way I did when I got there. These people don't believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not really moving and doing crazy things there. So I tell everybody now that says they want to go, you better bring the Holy Spirit with you. Right. Don't go there looking for it. Bring him with you. So next picture, we go into Capernaum. And this is a temple, right? In, in the city, it, it doesn't look like much. It's, it's uh, how big was this little area of the city? Maybe the size of this, this whole parking uh, structure here, this whole unit that we're in. And then there's this, this ruins of a particular temple. On the outside, if you go to it, next picture, you see uh, different layers, right? So on the bottom, you can see that it's all destroyed. It looks like even burned or scorched. And then you get to a second layer of white. The next picture, on that sign right there, it says... Capernaum, excuse me, it says the place, uh, the late 4th century A.D. is the white synagogue built upon the ruins of the synagogue of, of Jesus. So leave it there. The white stones that you see are the 4th century, all right? The black stones that you see is when Jesus was here, before, in the middle of the 1st century. So it's the same temple. When you read, when you read through these scriptures, and you actually go to these places, that's the most wonderful part about it, is you know that Jesus was walking somewhere around there. Was it, was it this particular one? There's a couple of them in that area, but you know, literally, it's like saying that he was walking down Lambert. It might have been on that corner, it might have been on this corner, but he was there. And you're seeing these things, right? So what I'm going to share with you, I, I hope you can see it. When I say that Jesus planted a seed of hope, and uh, what I learned about in Israel, about the Holy Spirit, is we got there and we had a Jewish... Um, tour guide 
who was telling us about all these sites, but he didn't know Jesus. And it's like going to a church where somebody is preaching to you, but they don't know Jesus. The word is good and it's true, but there's something missing. Somebody say amen. amen. So every time we get to a spot, he tells us all the history and it's like, man, we should be feeling more. We should be praying more. We should be praising God. And I couldn't take it anymore. There's about 30 of us sitting right outside this, this temple right here. And he was talking and everybody was sitting there and I was just going crazy inside. I just stood up. I stood up and I said, excuse me. And I started preaching to everybody about the Holy Spirit, about what God was going to do. I started crying. I started weeping to the point where in the middle of talking, but I just had to walk away. And I went right to that wall. I just leaned on the wall and started weeping and crying and weeping and crying. And God said, listen, don't come to these places looking for hope. I am your hope. I am here. Wherever you go, I'm there. Amen. So as I'm looking at what we're sharing today and Jesus planting hope, and then when I'm preparing the message, and, and I know that we're in Capernaum, what we're going to be talking about a little bit here, God reminded me that it's not just the Capernaum of the Bible, it's my Capernaum. It's my place of him planting hope in me, reminding me about his spirit. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn it. If you have your app, you can click there. Uh, if not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard... That John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. What a story. Somebody say amen. amen. It's a true story. Say amen. amen. So when I'm there, like I said, and I'm, I'm looking at these places and reading these scriptures and thinking right here, people are flooding into this city and he's touching them, he's healing them. Lives are being changed. First off, the call of God is clear. Say clear. clear. But a seed of hope is what's actually planted. The call is clear. He's walking. He sees these men. Simon, Andrew, follow me. James, John, follow me. The call goes out and we hear it. 
I believe that Jesus is calling and people are hearing that call, but it's a difficult call to answer him. See, we like to think that we haven't seen God, we haven't heard God, but I don't really believe that that's the truth. I believe Jesus is calling people by name and loud and clear. But when he gets to that part where he says, follow me, people are like, man, that's a, that's a rough and tough call. Amen. I want to hear you, God. I want you to know me by name, but I'm not so sure I want to follow you. How can we help? See, what he says is, follow me. And then I will do X, Y, and Z. With these particular ones, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Whatever it is that you're designed, whatever it is that God has for you, first off, you're going to get a call to follow him. After the call and you answer it, then he says, and then I will do this in your life. And then I will give you these things. And then I will bless you. And then I will raise you and grow you and change you and transform you. But you got to answer the call first. Somebody say amen. Amen. See, our testimonies and spirit-filled believers who are joyful in their following of Jesus Christ helps others be willing to answer the call of God on their lives. Amen. See, God is calling people out there. Everybody we love, everybody we care about, Jesus is calling them by name. And what they also need to see is you excited about God, you posting about God, you reading your word and being full of the spirit, you telling them, man, I love the Lord and he loves me and I want you to know that love. That's exciting for somebody that's hearing the call and then looking at you and saying, man, will the call that I'm hearing produce that in me? But can they look at us? When they look at us, do they say, oh, that's the call. But man, look what happened to them. They told me they answered the call, and look at them. See, we need bells and pomegranates. We talked about this in Exodus, right? You need to ring that bell that I am a Christian, but you also need the pomegranates, the fruit of what it really means to be a Christian. Then people will want to come to church. See, the journey is where the death of the seed begins to turn into life. It happens along the journey. You know, Raymond talked about it with this walking up the hill, I think it was Wednesday night, and the water's falling out, and something's not right, the, the, the pot is cracked, but it turns into life along the side of that road because it's being watered. You know, you have to be on the road with God if you want to see something turned into life. When he called them out of those boats and away from their families and away from their friends, it wasn't immediate that they had all this life. They had to get walking with him and be on the journey before they saw the life. There had to be death before there was life. Somebody say amen. Amen. John 12, 24 says, this is Jesus. He says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. See, the disciples see the healing and transformation, right? And they begin to have hope for a life beyond what they had previously known. They're fishermen, they're they're mending nets, they got a little business, they're with their family, they're with their father, their brothers, right? All of a sudden Jesus calls them and says, follow me. As they follow him, they begin to die to that old life, and then that death produces life in a new life for them. All of a sudden, when they were just going to be on the sea every day with the family, having a good time, enjoying the the fishing, now all of a sudden they're seeing people that are epileptics be healed. They're seeing paralytics be healed. They're seeing the deaf be able to hear, the blind be able to see, the lepers be cleansed, right? And all of a sudden they hope for a new life. Oh my God, is this what life could be? 
The seed has to be given time to grow, church. Jesus is planting hope, but it needs time to grow. Right? He calls them out, hey, I've got hope for you. If you come out of there and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men and you'll see things you've never seen before. There's hope rising up in them. Could it be? Could it be true? Sometimes, depending on the soil, the seed doesn't take all that much time to grow. Sometimes it'll happen fast. You know, last week at service, we, uh, we had an altar call. and We began to plant seeds. And I want to share something with you. You know, God was giving me vision like I've been talking to you guys about. And, and while we were planting and shortly thereafter, I felt God, I felt God talk to me. And what I said to him in response was, Lord, if we just see any sign of life in any one of these pots, I'm going to believe that we're on the right track and that we're doing what you want us to do and that you're going to do miracles in these people and in this church and with these churches we want to plant and all the things that we want to do. I said, God, just don't let it be dirt that eventually dies and we don't see any life in it because then we're going to have to reevaluate. <laughs> and on the back of each and every one of these things, right, on the back of the seed, I think the shortest time was two weeks, it says. It's going to take two weeks before you start to see something and it may take up to uh, six weeks before you see but with all the different types of seed, right? On Wednesday, go ahead, Zach, with the, with the first picture here. On Wednesday, began to see, amen. Can you see it down here? You see it up there, right? And, and I, get a, I get a message saying, look, there's, there's seed. And I hadn't told anybody yet. I didn't tell anybody in the church. I didn't even tell Mary. I didn't tell the people who have the pots. When we got ready to, to, to send them home, go ahead to the next picture. So that one is, is, is at one place. This one on Thursday is at another place and then the last one at the third place all three of them when I got the first message that one began to sprout I was like cool I don't even care what happens to the other two pots <laughs> we saw it it's confirmed God's going to do something and then all three of them began to to bear fruit and it's quick they said minimum what did I say two weeks maximum uh, six weeks before you start to see something and in three days good Lord Jesus three days three days come on Three days we saw this stuff. So, so this one here is with Raymond and the McHales. Go back to the other one. This other one here is with me and my family at the Jared's house. And then that, that third one is with Gary and the Arkellians. We're the elders of this church. And I feel like, listen, we have to tend to it. Yes. We have to water it. We have to care for it like God called us to do within the church with the lives that are here in this place. So to see all three of those already sprouting and life coming out of them, I'm trying to tell you, God is saying it's not going to take a long time for you if it's good soil. And it's not going to take a long time for you if you pour yourself into it, if you water it and you cultivate it. Now what God put on my heart this morning is, look, you got to be ready to replant it because those little containers are not going to hold what needs to grow in those things. What about your life? Was it just a cool service? Was it just something to say, hey, they, they had seed at church. <laughs> they had water on Sunday. No, plant something. It's a time to plant. Say amen. amen. So what we're going to do, I'm going to look at three stories from Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus plants hope. Say Jesus, Jesus. plants plant. hope. hope. Jesus, Jesus. plants plant. hope. hope. Jesus, Jesus. plants plant. hope. hope. Amen. Woo. Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. 
immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So I don't really want to get into it, but I think it's interesting what Jesus says here. He tells him, don't tell anybody, and we know the story. He tells everybody. He tells him, not only do I not want to tell anybody, just go to church. He says, go to the temple, go to the church, and give your tithe and give your offering that Moses commanded you. But we're going to focus on something else. <laughs> so number one this morning, Jesus plants hope through touch. Say touch. Touch. See, many of us have areas of our lives where we truly want to be healed. We want to be changed, right? But there are also areas where the healing and the change are actually just a doorway to something deeper, something else that we're really longing for and something else that we really need. You know, we look at our lives and we say, man, I need this change and I need this healed. I need to be delivered, right? I need these chains broken in my life. But the reality is, is that sometimes that's just the beginning. That's just the doorway into something deeper that you really, really need and that you're truly longing for. See, the leprosy that this man suffered from, it prevented him from being touched. It prevented him from being embraced. Right? What did we sing this morning? Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Right? Imagine not being able to be touched. Imagine not being able to be wrapped in anybody's arms, not ever being able to be embraced. See, those that he loved, this leper, and those that loved him could not touch him. They could not embrace him. See, when you read the Old Testament, what you see is that when somebody was suspected of having leprosy, they began to get spots on their body right, little blotches on different places, and they would say, immediately, we're going to pray for you, we're going to do ceremony cleansings and washings, and within a couple of days, if they didn't see a reversal, that person had to be shipped out of the community. So imagine, today you're here at church, everything's good, tomorrow you notice something, Tuesday you go to the doctor, Wednesday the church prays for you, Thursday you're shipped out to the desert somewhere and you don't get to see your family, you don't get to see your kids, you don't get to see your, anybody that you knew previously. You are not allowed to have contact within a couple of days with anybody, never to be touched again. It's significant. See, when you're, when you're a little bit spoiled, when you're a little bit rich, when you have people, you've been touched more here in this place this morning than these people that we're talking about are touched in decades. Sometimes we need something that's a little bit deeper than just a healing, right? We need a touch from God. I got a video I want to show you guys.
Ben-Hur. Anybody? If you have not seen that movie, don't, the new one's all right, but go get the old one with Charlton Heston and, and look at this. But a couple things that they said there. So they're lepers. They got cast out. If you read in the scriptures, they go live in leper colonies. You know that there's leper colonies today all over the world? Yes. People that suffer like this, away from society, away from being able to be touched. In this, in this particular clip, it said that they wanted him to think of them as if they were dead. Remember them how they used to be. Imagine living a life like that. Or the people you love, you don't even want them to see you, right? You long for touch, but you can't have it. They could only be in a community with other lepers. <laughs> Without hope. Leprosy is what caused the barrier to the fulfillment of their dream, right? Their dream was not to be delivered from leprosy. Their dream was to be able to be touched again. You see the difference? We don't just need healing. We don't just need uh, deliverance. We don't just need, a lot of times we focus on that thing that we want, but what we want is something deeper, something more important. They're like, look, I'll even keep the leprosy if I can be touched, if I can see my family, if I can be loved. But if this is a barrier, remove the barrier so I can go deeper into what I really need, which is community, love, touch, closeness. See, Jesus touched the leper before he gave him the physical healing. See what I'm saying this morning? See, it could have been that Jesus was there and said, good teacher, Lord, if you're willing to, to heal me, I can be healed, cleanse me. And Jesus could have said, okay, okay, uh, you're, you're healed, you're cleansed, go ahead. But that's not what happened. He touched him first, and it's so important. Verse 3, Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing be cleansed. What he's saying is, I am willing and I am able to give you what you really need. You need touch, and I'll give you that before I give you the healing. Jesus planted hope in that leper's life. Does that make sense? If somebody clean hasn't touched you in 20 years, and then you come across this man named Jesus and he says, hey, listen, I know I'm clean and I know that you're filthy. I know that you have leprosy and that you're not allowed to touch, but I'll touch you. Imagine the amount of hope that would give somebody that they could be touched again. That built faith in this man. And then immediately, it seems like immediately, but right after he's touched, that's when the cleansing and the healing and the deliverance comes. But, but hope was planted first. Amen. Jesus plants hope. Somebody say Amen. amen. See, many of us and many of the people that we know, we need something beyond healing. Yes. We need to be touched by God again. Right? We usually come into church thinking about what I'm suffering from and what my issues are and what, what I need God to change. And what we should be coming in saying is, Lord, in this worship service, touch me. Yes. Lord, in this time of reading on my own, touch me before you bring the healing, before you bring the change and transformation, reach out and touch me. See, I believe that we need to be hugged in our mess. We need to be held in our filth, and we need to be embraced in our shame. Amen. See, that's where the rubber really meets the road. That's where you really meet Jesus. What we typically do is not that. What Jesus does, he says, right in your mess, I'll come and hug you. Right in your filth, I'll touch you. Right? right in your shame, I will embrace you. Amen. See, it's a hard call, 
But if Jesus can do it, we can do it. Amen. Is there anybody in your life right now that, that's in the middle of some filth and they need you to reach out and touch them anyway? Amen. They need you to hug them anyway? In the middle of their shame, they need you to walk through the mall with them or take them to a restaurant? In the middle of their shame. If Jesus can do it, we can do it. Somebody say amen. amen. And if Jesus has done it for us, we need to do it for others. Say amen. amen. Let's move on. So first, Jesus plants hope through touch. This is Matthew 8 still. The very next verse, verse 5 says, Now, right after he cleanses this, this leper and touches him, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So Jesus sees this great faith in a non-Israelite Gentile, and he says, I can't believe this faith. He says, there's going to be people all over the world that come into heaven, and they meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they dine together in heaven. He says, but my own sons, right? The sons of Israel, they're not going to make it. We talked about this a little bit at service last week. There's a lot of Christians who are in church and they're not going to be part of planting anything. They're not going to be part of destiny. They're not going to be part of going any further. And it's going to be the new people who are just showing up and saying, listen, I heard the call and I came to follow. And it's going to be the other people who have been here for a long time. They say, I heard the call too, but I'm still in the boat. Jesus is saying the exact same thing with the Israelites and these Gentiles. So how does he plant hope in a situation like this? First, with a leper, he plants hope through touch. Here, Jesus plants hope through a word. Jesus plants hope through a word. Verse 13, it says that Jesus said, say said, said. to the centurion, go your way and as, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. See, this man, this, this general, if you would, he believed that Jesus had authority over things that no other man has authority over. That's why Jesus says, I've never seen such great faith like this. Look at what he's saying. He shows up to Jesus. I have somebody that needs to be healed. Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to come over there, and I'm going I'm to touch him like I touched the leopard. And he says, no, I don't need you to, to come and touch him. I know that you have crazy authority. If you just speak a word, it'll happen. And then this is a comparison he makes. He says, listen, I have people under my authority. If I tell this guy, go, he goes. If I tell him, come, he comes. If I tell him, stop, they stop. Right? He says, that's the kind of authority that I carry with those who are under me. And he's saying, this is what I know about you, Jesus. If you say, be healed, somebody will be healed. You have more authority than anybody I've ever known or even heard of, and he has strong faith and belief in it. It's crazy. That's why Jesus says, man, how does he know who I am? My own people don't even know me. How does he know that I can say to sickness, be gone? 
from miles and miles away? How does he know that I could say to the, to the storm, calm? How does this man know these things? See, many of us believe that Jesus is God. Say amen. amen. And we believe because we read it and we trust the word of God that when God said, let there be light, there was light. And when God said, hey, here's the limits of the oceans, that that's where the limits came from. When God said, here's the greater light, the sun, and the lesser light, the moon, that's where they came from. Amen. How many of you believe that? Say amen. amen. See, the important thing that I've learned is that we don't struggle with the authority of God. We don't doubt the existence of God. We doubt that we can hear from God, right? Because we all, amen, he said, let there be light. Amen, he breathed life into Adam, pulled him out of the dust, and he took his rib and made, I believe it. He has authority, he has power. Have you heard from him this week? No, I don't believe I can hear from him. Has he spoke to you about your situation? No, because I don't believe he can speak to me. It's either we don't believe he can speak or maybe that we don't believe we're worthy of hearing. But we believe in his, in his ability and we believe in his, his, his love and his creativity. But not many of us are willing like the centurion to come up to him and say, will you speak a word into my life? Will you say something about me? Will you say something about my situation and my circumstance? That's all he wanted. Say something, Lord. Amen. Don't come. Don't touch. Don't fix. Don't change. Just say something. Yes. Amen. In Hebrews 6.17, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it with the oath. That first part means this. God wants to show you that nobody can stop what he says about you and what he says about your life, and he makes a promise or an oath when he says it just to confirm it for you. He says there are two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul. It says that God wants to say something. He wants you to understand that it's immutable, so he makes an oath about it. Then he says that you will have strong consolation when you leave the, the, the boat behind and you go running for the hope that he promised you. Those two immutable things are his word and his promises. He says, if I say something in my word and if I make a promise to you, nothing can change it. Many of us need to stop looking for the answer to our problems and pain, and we, start, we need to start listening for a promise to claim. Stop looking for the answer to your problem and your, and your pain, and start listening for a promise to claim. What am I suffering from, and how can it be fixed? Why am I hurting, and why is this broken? Why am I stressed out, and why am I sad? No, Lord, do you have a word do you have something you want to actually say about my situation and circumstance? How many of you would rather have your pain relieved and your circumstance made better, but it would cost you not being able to hear from God? Or would you choose to hear from God and in the physical, your situation stays the same, painful and frustrating? Do we want to hear from God? Do we believe we can and do we want to? 
we got to get to a point where even we'd rather hear him say no than not hear him at all. See, God plants hope through a word. Verse 13 says, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. See, the centurion walked away from Jesus with what? Hope. Hope. (laughs) Jesus planted hope in his life. It would be confirmed in the near future, but Jesus didn't give him the answer and blessing and change everything. He just gave him hope. I came to Jesus. He gave me a word, and now I hope. Isn't that what Hebrews said? You flee from the situation in hope, waiting to lay hold of the hope that you have now. It's an anchor for the soul. Every step, my soul is not going to drift to the right or to the left, and I'm not going to go back. Why? Because I'm an anchor of hope in the word that Jesus gave me. Verse 13 finished up by saying his servant was healed that same hour. So think about this. When Jesus plants hope, the tree is already in that seed of hope. But we have to walk by faith and not by sight in order to get to the place where the end of his word meets the end of our faith. And that's where the fruit is. Right. So Jesus is here and he has a word. This is going to happen in your life. This is going to happen in your life. This is going to happen in your life. And the word goes forth. But it hasn't manifested for you yet. And then what we have to do is we have to say, okay, look, I'll take that word. I heard it. And now I have faith. I can't see it, but I have faith. I believe it. I'm going to walk by faith. So what he said there is produced out there somewhere. I have to walk by faith even though I can't see it. And when my faith converges with the end of his word, that's where the promise is claimed. See, when the centurion heard Jesus, it says that right then and there, the servant was healed. But you know what the centurion, or excuse me, yeah, the centurion had to do? He had to walk all the way home. And if he didn't get all the way home, he would have never seen the healing. He would have never really known that that restoration had come. What if he stopped halfway and said, I'm not going back there. Oh, there's something more important I need to do. Or there's something else that's drawing my attention. Many of us, even if we have heard from God, we haven't got back to the house. We haven't walked with faith long enough to have those two paths converge. That's right. Amen. We got to hear the word and then we got to walk by faith until we receive that promise. He says it's immutable. It's a promise. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, all that means is the end of my word has not converged with you walking by faith and the end of your faith. You haven't got to that point yet. And you know what? For many of us, it might be the very next step. For others, we've got to stop and say, Lord, will you speak again? Because honestly, I'm lost. I may have went the wrong direction. I may be further away from it now than I was when you told me it was going to happen. But if you don't hear the voice of the Lord, how will we ever arrive? Somebody say amen. Amen. So one, Jesus plants hope through touch. Two, Jesus plants hope through a word. And finally this morning, number three, Jesus plants hope through healing. Matthew, same chapter, very next verse, verse 14 of chapter 8 says, Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, we began the service this morning with Jesus calling people to follow him, and we end in the same place. Everything is about hearing God call and then following God, right? These people acted like they wanted to follow. A scribe, he's writing down the words, and he sees everything that Jesus is doing. He says, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And he's like, look, man, you're comfortable. You're educated. You, you sit in the palaces. You, you stand by educated men and write down the oracles of God. I'm going to be out here in the hood. I'm going to be out here in the highways and byways. I'm going to be on Skid Row. I'm going to be in the, the riverbed. I'm going to be feeding people at the park. You don't want to do that. You're too comfortable for this. The call isn't just to be around me when I touch and I heal. It's to go hungry sometimes. It's to have less resources sometimes. It's to be stabbed in the back sometimes. It's to be abandoned sometimes. you got to really understand the call if you're going to follow me. Amen. Then the next man comes to him. Teacher, teacher, I'll follow you. I heard what you said to him and I'm down. But, but let, me, let me go do my duty. You know, Hey, God, you know you love the Father. Right, Jesus? I mean, you love the Father. Let me go bury my father. You know, he's just, he's on his deathbed. It's going to be a little while before he dies. And I just want to be a good son. And I want to be there to make sure that I bury him. He says, follow me. This is new wine, new life. There's people who can have life. Let the dead bury their dead. I don't know the exact circumstance, but I, what I think he's trying to say is, look, you've been praying for your dad. You've been faithful to your dad, and, and, and his life is in somebody else's hands. My father in heaven, what you need to do is stop making excuses and follow me. You can go get three strangers saved, or they can go to hell while you, while you let your father and the past prevent you from going on to what I have for you. Follow me. Follow me. So he says that. <laughs> And he's in Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And what does Jesus do? He plants hope through healing. So in Capernaum, the picture that I showed you guys, there's the temple and all this stuff. About three-minute walk, you're at the Sea of Galilee, right? I'm standing there throwing rocks in it. And then in between the temple and the Sea of Galilee, there's a house. So you show that first picture, Zach? In Capernaum. The last set of pictures it should be. Praise the Lord. So the temple is there, and then there's this building. Leave it here for a second. That's my shadow. That's me. <laughs> so you see this, this building that's, that's here, right? And there's kind of like a, you know, it's like a little museum on top, and they, they built this thing. And at first, when you come walking up, you're like, wow, this is a nice, like, crazy museum building thing that they have here. And then you realize, the next picture, please that it's just there to protect what they believe is Peter's house. 
it's over it so the elements and the rain don't cause it to erode and be destroyed more. But they believe that this is Peter's house. So they leave from Jesus teaching in that temple and healing people and touching people. They take literally like a two-minute walk, and they're at Peter's crib. <laughs> so in there somewhere, they believe, and whether it's here or not, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but they believe it's here. Whether it's here or not, picture his mother-in-law laying there sick. She's sweating. She's got a fever. Many of us have been there before. She's delirious probably, right? And Jesus walks up. Go ahead to the, to the next picture. I believe there's one more. So this tells you everything that's there with the temple, and the top one says the house of, of Peter here in, in Capernaum, right? So we don't know a lot about this lady. You can leave the picture up of, of the house, the middle one there. We don't know a lot about this lady, but here's one thing that you can imagine. If Jesus is there touching and healing and doing all these things that, that Peter's wife, which we don't, we don't know anything about, or his mother-in-law, they're probably women of faith. They probably like knew Jesus. We hear of other women that were cooking and cleaning and blessing him and, right, and pouring oil on him. They may have been women like that. I thought about this, though, as, as I was preparing this message. You know what the reality is, too, though? His mother-in-law could have been a completely different kind of woman. She might have been one of those women that are like, hey, look, I thought my, my daughter was marrying a fisherman with a fisher's business. You and your dad had dough. You guys were out here doing it big, and then when you came and you wanted to marry my daughter, I was like, great. I did not sign up for my daughter to marry this dude that's going to leave the business and go follow this crazy teacher for three years with nothing. Amen. Some mamas act like that. Some parents act like that. We want the world's success for our kids rather than walking with Jesus. She could have been either of those. Either way, what we know is that she got a seed of hope planted in the form of the healing of Jesus in her life. There she is with this fever. Jesus comes in and touches her, speaks a word. This seed of hope is planted and she's immediately healed from what she's suffering from. And what does she do? She immediately became a servant of the Lord. The picture is, she's there and he's teaching and preaching. He walks over and sees that she's suffering, right? He, he reaches over and touches her and she's healed. She pops up and starts running around the house. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Did you just get touched by Jesus? You got healed? You were over there in the synagogue? Where's your family? Have you eaten? Is there something you need? Oh, you were a leper and you've never been touched. Let me embrace you. She starts serving the body. Amen. It didn't take her days. It didn't take her weeks. It didn't take her months. And it didn't take her years to start serving the Lord. It took her minutes. Amen. Minutes. When you've been touched by God, when you've been healed by God, you should want to serve God. Amen. And you should not have to be poked and prodded and pressed and convinced to do it. I've been touched. Amen. I've been healed. I will serve. Right. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not after I bury my father. Not only if it's comfortable, but right here, right now. Amen. I will serve. He touched her hand in verse 15. The fever left her. And she arose and served him. And what happened because of her service? What did it actually produce? Listen to verse 16. After she's touched and she's healed, she starts serving. Verse 16 says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. 
See, the Lord touches one person, heals one person, and because she begins to serve, now this platform has been built for many to come and get healing. She starts kicking down the wall. The house isn't big enough. We need it bigger so more people can come. They need places to sit. They need water. Hey, let's go down. Let's get some water. Why? Because if we have water, people can have their thirst quenched. She's serving. She's serving. And all of a sudden, this flood comes into the house where the Lord is and everybody's healed. What happens if you start serving? What happens if you start serving? What happens if you start serving? We weren't touched and healed to sit and bask in our healing. We were touched and healed to serve the Lord so that others can be healed. God moves when we serve. So Jesus plants hope through a word. Jesus plants hope through a touch. And Jesus plants hope through healing. Worship team, would you come? And church, would you stand? Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who plants hope. We thank you that you don't just give us things, Lord, but you give us seed. We thank you that you've also given us a strength to be able, Lord, to cultivate the soil, to cultivate the ground. We thank you that you've given us water, Lord. Even this week in talking to a brother, Lord, all it takes is a drill, a hand drill or a rig, Lord God, and we can go down into the earth and find clean water, Lord. It's not that we have to create it ourselves. You've already placed it here for us. The same thing is true in our lives, Lord. You've given us everything to be fruitful. You've given us the seed. You've given us the soil. You've given us the water. And all we have to do is just a little bit of labor, Lord God. Just a little bit of labor. You created everything, and then you gave it to us free of charge, Lord. Help us, God. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, I want you to get saved today. I want you to give your life to Jesus. No games and no gimmicks, just I don't know him, but I need to. And that's what we want for you today. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But if you're here and you're not saved this morning, you are a leper. There's a group of people who are engaged and, and hugging and loving and touching. And then there's a group of lepers. I used to be a leper. I lived in leper colonies with other lepers. Ashamed. Afflicted. But God wants to touch you in a way that you've never been touched before. If you don't know Jesus... The truth is that you know you need that deep touch this morning. You know you need something that, that goes beyond the surface, something more than what all your friends and your family and anybody else has ever been able to give you. What you need is a word from God. What you need is a promise that cannot be broken. What you need is something that will be given to you that can never be taken away. I believe you can find healing this morning and that healing will create in you a desire to serve God with power and with passion and with joy. Why don't you bow your heads? Why don't you close your eyes? I want you to picture yourself this morning. And she, just like Peter's mother-in-law, being touched and healed and just jumping up with life that wasn't in you just a moment before. I'm going to read a little bit of a story to you guys from 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a leper that comes to see and hear from a man of God, just like many of you have come with a need. 
into this church this morning. In 2 Kings 5, this, this, this leper shows up to the man of God and he has a need. You may not have thought it that way when you came here this morning, but there is a man of God here. There's, there's multiple. And we have something for your need. Everything we talked about this morning is, is summed up in these short seven verses. His name was Naaman. It says, he went with his horses and his chariot. He stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. The leprosy will be gone. And Naaman became furious and he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out to me and he'll stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and he'll wave his hands over the place and, and it'll heal the leprosy. You might have came here this morning expecting us to shout and jump and, and call down fire from heaven. And that's what this man said. I, I thought I was going to show up and he's going to wave his hand and he's going to call down his God. He's going to heal my leprosy. Then Naaman says, the Jordan are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, just wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and he came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. See, this man was told to go and wash seven times in the Jordan that he would be made clean. He took that word, he put faith into action, even though he still had some doubt. Why do I need to go there? And I thought it would be different. And I thought, you know, if I was going to wash in a river, I got cleaner rivers that I could go and get washed in. Even with all of that doubt and uncertainty, he still did what the man of God told him to do. He went to the Jordan and he washed seven times and he was healed. After that, he put all of his faith in the one true God. And he was so excited, just like Peter's mother-in-law, she jumped up to serve. This guy gets healed. He says, I can't wait to give. I don't need an offering to ask me to give. I can't wait. He ran. He found the man of God. He said, look at what I have. Thank you. Take it. And then the man of God says, I'm taking nothing from you. God doesn't want to take anything from you. He just wants to give healing to you. He just wants to give life to you. He just wants to bless you. He's a good, good father. So for the unsaved here this morning, you're a leper. And I'm not going to ask you to go dip in a river seven times, but I am going to ask you to be courageous and raise your hand and say, you know what, I am a leper. The Bible says that without confession and repentance, there can be no healing. Every single one of us has to say at some point, I am a leper, I am a sinner. There is no 
there's no hope for me. There's nothing I can do to remove this disease because although it's showing on the outside, it's actually manifested at the very core of me. It's in my blood. That's what it means to be a leper. It's in your blood. If you're here and you're not saved, do not be ashamed because he wants to touch you in your filth. He wants to embrace you in your mess. He wants to say, that one's mine in your shame this morning. But you can't get away from it. you got to acknowledge it. If that's you, raise your hand. Any lepers still in the house that don't know Jesus yet? He's not alive inside of you. You haven't been cleansed. Any lepers? that are sinners that want to be saved this morning. Raise your hand. I'm looking. Don't be like Naaman and go back saying, there's a better way for me to do that. Anybody that's not saved that wants to be saved this morning, raise your hand. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. For the rest of us, we're going to sing this song. We're going to worship. And if you want to pray, if you want to be prayed over, for Jesus to plant hope in your life. I want you to come to this altar, but I want to pray first. Lord, thank you for being the one who plants hope. Thank you for creating the seed, creating the water, creating the soil, and always telling us you will plant hope in our lives. Lord, I pray that men and women in this place will answer the call to leave the boat, to leave the nets, to leave whoever it is that would prevent us from following you with everything that we have. Jesus, you said if you don't hate mother and hate father and hate siblings for my sake, you cannot be my disciples, Lord. We know that you are a God of love. What you are trying to tell us is you've got to be first. We have to be willing to lose everything in order to have you. God, help us to hear your call this morning and to answer it. We want you to plant hope through a touch in our lives. We want you to plant hope through a word in our lives. And we want you to plant hope through healing in our lives. Lord, meet us at this altar. Let this be one of the days where something you spoke in the past converges with the faith that we had in it. Let those points meet at this altar this morning, Lord, and let us taste and see that you are good, Lord. Bless your sons. Bless your daughters, Lord. Plant hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are released. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.